Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God who communicates and who's longing for us to open our ears and listen. We pray that today it would be your voice that we hear and that as we hear in our hearts, we will come to love Jesus more than we ever have before. And that that would be the compelling factor in our lives that drives us to follow you more closely than ever before. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I don't remember exactly how old I was. This is a picture of me being held by my seven-year-old brother, but I don't think it was quite at this age. That's, that's me as a little 10-pound baby, newborn baby. I, I thank my mom every birthday for all that she went through for me. My brother is seven and a half years older than me, and as such, he was already bigger than I am. But I don't think at this stage I began to aspire to be as big as my brother or as tall as him. But as time went on, that definitely became one of my missions in life. Here I am getting just a little bit bigger, and you notice that my brother is almost as tall as my mom here. And I don't know what stage I began to notice, but hey, brother is growing really tall. I think that I want to be taller than my brother. This is my grandmother who passed away just not too long ago. She was the shortest of my immediate family. And I remember the days when I'm like, hey, I'm almost as tall as grandma. This is a good deal. I am getting taller. I am growing. And little by little, I kept getting taller. This is my brother's eighth grade graduation. You notice he's just about taller than my dad. He's about an inch, an inch and a half taller than my dad. And here I'm in about second or third grade, trying to catch up with my brother. And I'm almost working up to being as tall as my mother. And by this stage, I can tell you for a fact that one of my goals was to be taller than both my brother and my dad, because they would hold me down and tickle me and mistreat me, I felt like. And so I couldn't wait to be bigger than them. Oddly enough, they never wanted to wrestle again after that. But here's a picture of when I was baptized, the day of my baptism at 12 years of age. I was almost as tall as my dad. My dad's six foot two. But I really wasn't content. I wanted to get taller. And so by the time I got to high school, I finally was taller than the rest of my family. And I thought that that was enough until I moved to Templeton Hills. And then I met some people that I'm not going to highlight right now who happened to tower over me. And I realized that my aspirations simply were not enough. So here's a question. How does one grow taller? If I told you this morning that the reason I am so tall is because I had big dreams. Because I said, I am going to be tall. Is that how I got to be tall? A lot of people ask me. So if you could inform me of the secret of my height, I could answer a lot of questions. Some people say, what did you eat exactly? And, and what was it that made you tall? But Jesus one day, and I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, talking about growth, he tells us, stop worrying or don't worry about your height. Look at Luke chapter 12 with me. Luke chapter 12 and verse 25. Jesus says, and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So which of us could think hard enough, worry long enough, and finally get ourselves to be tall, taller than we are? One cubit would be about 18 inches, about a forearm's length, right? So how many of us could worry and grow? If if that were possible, I would finally be taller than, than the tallest person in this church, right? So maybe if I start worrying, well, Jesus goes on to say this in verse 26. If you then are, what does it say? not able to do the least, 
Why are you anxious for the rest? Jesus says it's impossible. You can't just will yourself to get taller. It's, it's not, you're not capable of increasing your height by just determining to do so. So how then do we grow? How do we go about growth in our lives? And more importantly, what about our spiritual life? Because I believe that as Jesus is talking here, he's not just talking about our physical height. He has bigger things in mind. He's actually thinking about that, what you might call character. What enables us to have patience when our kids are grating on us? What enables us to have joy in the midst of sadness? What enables us to have peace when it feels like the world is crashing down around us? What enables us to stay faithful to God in the midst of trying circumstances? That's what I believe true stature is in the Christian walk. Well, we continue on and we read something in the book Steps to Christ. Now I actually gave this book to each of the, the those who were baptized today and in the back there's a copy of this and I encourage you, I've been re-looking at this book and it is fascinating how and, and powerful and encouraging how it teaches us to, to develop that relationship with Jesus. So talking about a child's growth, it says this on page 67, this is in the chapter Growing up into Christ, which is the chapter that, that this, this sermon will be, uh, demonstrating some of the things that are there. It says, the child cannot, by any anxiety or power of its own, add to its stature. Are we agreed with that? No child can decide to become taller. No more can you, by anxiety or effort of yourself, secure spiritual growth. Now, we can read that and say, yeah, that's, that sounds good. But do we really believe it? Do you believe that it's not possible for you to just will yourself to love God more? That it's not possible for you just to come up with more strength? That, that you actually can't cause growth in yourself in becoming a better Christian? Because sometimes people look at Christians and they say, well, they're, hopefully at least, if they're living a righteous life, they're just more self-control and they just decide that they're going to live a better life. And sometimes they look at Christians and say, why aren't they living a better life? Why don't they have a closer walk? Or why, why don't they have the character that they should have? Jesus goes on in verse 27 of this chapter in Luke 12 to, I believe, reveal to us a secret for our spiritual growth. He says this, consider the lilies. Jesus used such simple things. I mean, they're there, maybe in a field, and maybe there's a flower there, and he's like, okay, just consider the flowers. Think about what a flower is like. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So he picks this person in history, and he says, look, if you think about a flower, you think about a lily, and if, if you look at it closely, you realize that it didn't will itself to become like that. It didn't spin clothes for itself. It was given that gift of life from the one who designed it. And in the same way, or, or through that, its beauty excels that of Solomon. This got me to thinking about the, the glory, the beauty that Solomon had and how attractive that was. You know, flowers are really attractive. We give flowers out. We're giving flowers out to those who are baptized today because people like that. You give on your anniversary flowers because there's something beautiful, something attractive about it. What about how long do those flowers usually last if they're not potted? 
Sometimes two days, sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks if you're fortunate. They don't last very long. And Jesus is using this tiny, delicate, fragile, beautiful creation to illustrate what he longs to do in our lives. But he uses this parallel to the life of Solomon. So you can turn there with me in the Bible, or you can uh, just look at the screen at 1 Kings chapter 10. We're going to look at a story where somebody came to see who King Solomon was. It says this, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She hears that, that Solomon is this amazing king. He's got all this wealth. He's this amazing person. Is he really all that? I'm going to go and I'm going to test him myself. And we learn what kind of an amazing woman she was and all that she had herself. It says in verse 2, She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. You imagine in Jerusalem, this this little corner of the ancient Near East that, that hasn't been the attraction of, of kings and people coming to see what they were like. And all of a sudden, here comes this queen from a country in the south to say, who is this King Solomon? And what is his rule like? What is his wealth like? What is his knowledge like? What is his wisdom like? I have to know about this king. Verse 4 tells us that Solomon answered everything that she had to ask him about. He gave him her, he answered from his wisdom. Verse, but we'll continue. Actually, that's verse 3. Verse 4 goes on to say, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, you know, if you read about that house, it took a number, a long time to build it, and it was this beautiful, ornate house with cedar paneling and wood that was shipped in from around the world, and it's just an incredible thing that he built. The food of his table, the seating of his officials, how things were organized, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. So both his physical wealth, his wisdom about everything in the world, and his piety towards God, the way that he worshipped God so freely and so generously. She sees all of this, and the Bible goes on to say this, there was no more breath in her. She was shocked to the point of not being able to breathe. She was in awe of his glory. I mean, that's how incredible the glory of Solomon's reign was. It tells us that pebbles were more common than silver later on in this chapter. It tells us that he had more servants, he had more gold, he had more horses, he had amassed this massive amount of wealth. And finally, Israel had peace all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to uh, the river uh, in Babylon. So you see this huge kingdom that expands. So she sees this and she says, and it says there was no more breath in her. When she sees that glory though, her focus is not primarily directed to Solomon. It doesn't end with who Solomon is. And I think that's important when we enjoy the beauties of creation. We enjoy the things that God gives us. We, we see the ways that he blesses in people's lives. We see the decisions that people make today. We don't end with who they are, but we end with the God who's working in their lives. She goes on to say in verse 7, However, talking about the report she'd heard, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Usually the rumors about a person are way bigger, she says. But this time... 
The half wasn't told me. Solomon was twice as good as anything anybody had told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Do you see where her attention was now focused? She said, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, the I am, because he's the one that has done this. That's the testimony of when we are transformed by Jesus. When we get to experience what Solomon did of being clothed with his glory. She recognized that it didn't come from Solomon. It was something that was a gift from God. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. God is the one who's made you a righteous king. God is the one who's given you this wealth. God is the one who's been working in your life. God is the one. And so she worships the king of heaven. She sees this glory that is really amazing and yet is surpassed by the simple lilies, the simple flowers that we see as we walk along a trail. She saw this beauty and she was attracted to it. And she went and she saw for herself. Jesus uses this simile in saying that, hey, these lilies aren't even clothed like Solomon in all of his glory. And I believe that he's giving us a little insight into the fact that Solomon, he didn't amass that wealth. He didn't get that wisdom. All of it came not by his own strength, but through God who gave it to him. Then look at verse 28 in Luke chapter 12, back in Luke chapter 12. It says, if then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you? And then he ends with this little line. O you of little faith. Why don't we trust the God who clothes the lilies, who, who provides for this planet, who day by day is sending his rain on both the good and the evil, who's causing growth to happen all around us. If we would only trust that God and what he's willing to do in building our stature, our character to become like Jesus, that's the kind of faith that we need to walk the walk. So we continue reading in Ephesians chapter 4. There's something fascinating that tells us about that stature, that growth that God wants to do in our lives. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. This is describing what God is calling us up into. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you know that that is what every human being on this planet is called to? Every one of us has been called to become like Jesus. But here's the thing. I can't just worry about the fact that I don't love my neighbor. I can't just worry about the fact that I am so upset with my boss at work. I can't just worry about it and suddenly work a transformation in my life. I might be able to grip my teeth and get through the day. But in the end, I need something bigger. I need a God who alone can cause growth in my life. Ephesians goes on to say in verse 14, that we should no longer be children, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I had dreams of being taller than my brother, But there is so much bigger things that God calls us to. He calls us to a character that is like Jesus. To a love that is so deep that it left the throne of heaven, came down to this earth, and died on the cross because he loved humanity 
more than he loved himself. And God is longing to stir that same love in our lives, to grow us in that same ability to love others selflessly. Luke 12 continues, or we we read already, verse 25 said, And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? We can't grow up into Jesus. We can't become all that we're called to be as Christians on our own. That's kind of discouraging. Because, I mean, here we have people who just gave their lives to Jesus. They said, I'm all in for Jesus, 100% for Jesus. I'm being baptized today. And now I'm here to tell you that it's impossible for them to actually live the Christian walk. It's impossible for them to actually go on and become the Christians that God has called them to be. Here's the thing. It's crucial that we grasp that this is the way it works. I want you to think about something. Just recently, I had friends who were looking at a house online. They're like, you have to see how expensive this house is. It was up north of here in an area that's kind of expensive. And it was $2 million this house was selling for. Here's the question. If today I could tell you that I have the title for this house and I'm going to give you a $2 million house and you can walk out of here with a, and walk out with the keys and that is your house now, the only caveat is you cannot sell it. You have to keep the house. How many of you would say, I'll take the $2 million house? You're a little skeptical. Like, why is he asking me this? A few of you are brave. Like, yes, of course I would accept it. The rest of you are like, I would, but I'm not raising my hand because he's not actually going to give me a $2 million house. So my friends were looking at this and they scrolled a little bit further down and they saw something on this page. You know what the taxes are for that house each year? I think it was something like about $4,000 a month. And I realized something. Maybe you could afford that, but myself... I would end up being totally bankrupt having my house taken away from me because I couldn't pay the taxes on the house. Sometimes we offer to people the gift of salvation. We say, hey, it's free. You can be baptized. You can accept Jesus and it's his death, his resurrection, his life. You can have that. Here, have it. And then people say, yes, I accept. I want to be baptized. And then we say, okay, here's the deal. Now that you've been baptized, there are 10 commandments and you have to keep all of them. Right? So, You've heard it said before that we don't keep the Sabbath because in order to be saved, but because we're saved. Is that true? Or can we keep the Sabbath at all? Is it really possible for us in our own strength to be able to ever keep the Sabbath? Sometimes we make the mission that we call people to something that is unattainable and they walk away. They choose to be baptized and then later on they're saying, yeah, but I just don't have what it takes to pretend like I'm having it all put all together. And so I just can't do this. The good news this morning is it's not dependent on you. Walking in the Christian life is not dependent on you. Growing up into keeping the commandments, being a perfect Christian, you're called to that, but it doesn't depend upon you. It depends on a God who wants to do that for you. And you simply allowing him to do the work that he's longing to do in your life. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7 basically paints this picture that the same faith that we have when we're baptized, the same faith when we accept Jesus is the same faith that we need in order to continue walking with God. It says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. 
The same exact faith where you say, okay, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I don't have what it takes. I give my life to you. That is the same exact faith that you need to continue to walk the Christian walk, to live the Christian life, to continue to just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Then it goes on to say what will take place. And established in the faith is you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The same faith that we're saved by is the same faith that day by day leads us to rely on Jesus as a full and complete Savior. Steps to Christ paints a beautiful picture of this. Page 69, it says this. Many have an idea that they must do some part of the work alone. They have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, but now they seek by their own efforts to live aright. I mean, Jesus gave me this gift of forgiveness, so now I'm going to go ahead and live a right life. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of the way we tend to think about things. He's given me so much, so now I will go ahead and do my part. It goes on to say this, but every such effort must fail. Jesus says, this is in John 15 verse 5, without me, you can do how much? Absolutely nothing without Jesus. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is what will help people to actually want to have what you have in your life. To know that it's not about stirring yourself up to some height, but trusting in the God who wants to transform your life. Our growth in grace, our joy, our usefulness all depend upon our union with Christ. Our closeness to Christ. Choosing that relationship every day, I can choose. Do I want a relationship with Jesus or not? Every day I have the choice. Do I want to continue to live for him? He's already paid the price for everyone in this room and every person on this planet. And he's already lived a perfectly righteous life. And he offers to you and I his perfect obedience, and he offers to grow us, to transform us, so that that same love will begin to stir in our hearts. The only thing we can do to stop his goal of you growing up into the stature of Christ is to reject it, to choose not to open the door of your heart, to say, Jesus, I want what I want. goes on to say, it is by communion with him. By what? Communion with him, daily, hourly. That's a a constant relationship with Jesus. He's the one that sees us through. So our goal is to be in connection with him. By abiding in him that we are to grow in grace. He is not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. He's the one that starts it. He's the one that finishes it. We just went through a series talking about I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything for us. It is Christ first and last and always. He is to be with us, not only at the beginning and the end of our course, but at every step of the way. So here's the thing. Jesus, just the chapter before, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are coming up to Jesus and they're saying, hey, you're doing amazing things. Now show us a sign, though, that, that you are the Messiah, that you're this great, grand, and glorious king. If you're really better than, than, than if you really are the Messiah... Show us a sign. And Jesus, in his list of things, goes on and he says this. He says, the queen of the south, talking about the queen of Sheba that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a what? A greater than Solomon is here. 
So she came from, from a far distance. She traveled just so that she could come in contact with Solomon to learn of him and ultimately to be directed to his God. But you are rejecting me. You think about it, the only people that Jesus didn't give salvation to when he was here on the planet were the people who rejected him. Whether it was the people who walked away because they just wanted their own thing, or whether it was the majority who were so entrenched in their ability to earn salvation through the rules that they had come up with, that they ended up crucifying him and rejecting him. A greater than Solomon is here. And this is what you and I are called to grow up into. To become like Jesus, who is more grand and glorious. He has greater power. He has greater wealth. And more importantly, he demonstrated greater love than Solomon could have ever come close to. And you and I are called to that same experience of, of the glory of God in our own lives. Steps to Christ, page 71, tells us what led those scribes and Pharisees to walk away from Jesus. And ultimately, the only way that you and I can walk away from Jesus is by being distracted from Jesus. When the mind dwells upon self, it is turned away from Christ the source of strength and life. Now, to help you understand this, before we go on reading this, I want to, to, to tell you about something that happened in Taiwan. So in Taiwan, it was reported in the 1970s that a man traveled to a city and he met this, this girl there. And as they were getting to know each other, he decided, she's the one for me. I want to marry her. So he gave her the invitation. Will you marry me? She said, no. But that wasn't enough for him. He knew that she was the right one for him. He was determined to win her heart. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a love letter every day after this so that you can realize why I'm the one that you need. And he had to travel away. And he, true to his promise, began to write a letter. Every single day, he'd sit down and he'd write a letter. And he was getting no responses. So pretty soon he began to write two letters a day, then three letters a day. Pretty soon he was writing her three to four letters every single day, telling her about his love, telling her why she should fall in love with him. And at the end of writing 700 letters to this girl and never getting a response back, he actually found out that he had convinced her to get married. She married the mailman. She'd fallen in love with the one who came every day to deliver the love letters to her. She was distracted from the love that was offered to her by the vessel in which it was delivered to her. And I think that we see that picture here as Jesus is saying, stop worrying about your life. Stop worrying about the clothes you wear. Stop worrying even about your own character. Stop worrying about all that. And focus on me. Because that relationship is everything. When the mind dwells upon self, it is turned away from Christ. The source of strength and life. Steps to Christ goes on to tell us. And then it goes on to say this. Hence it is Satan's constant effort to keep the attention diverted from the Savior. And thus prevent the union and communion of the soul with Christ. His main goal in your life is to stop you from being focused on Jesus. That's the only way that he could possibly have you. Goes on to say, the pleasures of the world, life's cares and perplexities and sorrows, the faults of other people. What's wrong with that person? Why are they doing that? Or your own faults and imperfections. To any or all of these, he will seek to divert the mind. 
Just to get you distracted, wanting to do something else, wanting to do something more fun. Distracted by the mailman, distracted by yourself, distracted by anything except for the love that he's offering to you. That's the entire goal of the enemy who doesn't want you to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Do not be misled by his devices. Many who are really conscientious and who desire to live for God, he too often leads to dwell upon their own faults and weaknesses, and thus by separating them from Christ, he hopes to gain the victory. We should not make self the center and indulge anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be saved. Are you worried about your own salvation? Jesus says, you can't add to your stature by being anxious about it. It's not by worrying that we come into the kingdom of heaven. It's not that we are saved by faith and worrying through grace. But we are saved by the faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers us. All this turns the soul away from the source of our strength. Commit the keeping of your soul to God and trust in him. Talk and think of Jesus. Talk and think of Jesus. Let Jesus envelop everything for you. Let him be so beautiful to you that like the queen, you would come with gifts so that you could come and just see, is Jesus really he who he says he is? Because he's really far more beautiful than any lily, far more beautiful than anything we could ever imagine. And to walk with him is to receive him in the same way that we initially believe. This past week, I had the privilege of talking with some young people in England about following Jesus. And the first Sabbath, uh, which was actually two Sabbaths ago, I got to share my own testimony, my own experience with Jesus and what he has done. And here's what I'm learning. As Jesus begins to do something in your life, the most attractive thing to people is not for you to begin to say, hey, look at what I have accomplished. Look at who I have become. I worked really hard and I eventually, you know, got rid of these things in my life and I became a a saint. And so here I am standing before you today as a pastor telling you that you need to try harder. But I learned that there is power in pointing people to who Jesus is. As I began to share with them my own personal testimony, which I realized boils down to the fact that one day I recognized through the promptings of the Holy Spirit that I was missing something in my life. And I began to open my Bible and look for Jesus. I began to read the love letters that he was sending to me. And honestly, I was still distracted by the mailman in my life. I was still going to the movies instead of going to church. I was still uh, living a, a life partying. I was living in a relationship that wasn't uh, right. But I was beginning to read the love letters. I was beginning to say, Jesus, I'm willing. And friends, if you just open a tiny little crack in the door for Jesus... He's going to show his glory to you. He's going to break through in your life. Just open a little crack. Just read his love letters just a little bit, and he will come close to you. So I was sharing this story just two Sabbaths ago with people there in England. And as I shared this story with them, honestly, I didn't know what impact it would make on them. But afterwards, this there were several different people who came up and said that the message was just for them. But one uh, young adult who is probably in her late 20s, early 30s, just came to me in tears. She said, you have no idea. This is my second time coming to church in about 15 years. 
She said, and God brought me here just because he wanted me to recognize what he's longing to do in my life. Friends, it's really beautiful when you share who Jesus is and that transformation, that growth in your own life is like a lily that begins to attract people, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And the transformation is powerful and it's something that God is longing for you and I to share with everybody. That we're just overflowing, that it's, it's bursting out of us. You've got to hear about my friend Jesus. You've got to hear what he's doing. And I saw it with her own life because during that week, we, we met every single night talking about how to have that close walk with Jesus. And midway through, she brought a friend in. And at the end, I went up and met this friend. His name was Sam. And he said, you know, I've never come to church before. This is my first time in my entire life being in a church. Actually, I think they may have told me that about him. But as I talked to him, he said, I never came to a church because I always thought, I'd, I think he said it, I'd melt if I walked in there or I'd be struck by lightning. People have this picture of a God who's just waiting to condemn us, who's just waiting to push us out of the kingdom, who's longing for us not to accept the gift that he's given absolutely everything for. It doesn't make any sense at all. But it's what Satan keeps convincing the majority of humanity. But the fact of the gospel is, Luke twelve thirty two. after telling us that you can't be anxious and worry about your life and grow that way, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's longing to give it to us. He's longing to cause the growth. The question is, will we accept it? So in closing today, I want to do one last thing. Is there a young person here who says, I want to grow taller than Dr. Mulder? Any young person here who thinks, I'd like to be that tall? Okay, Wade, come on up here. Right, so I'm going to need you guys to give Wade some counsel this morning, right, to how he can grow. Okay, so Wade, come on up here. And and Dr. Mulder, I'm sorry, I, I didn't tell him this ahead of time, but why don't you come up here? I'll tell you a little secret. Those of us who are tall really hate when it's highlighted that we're tall, so I have no idea why I'm doing this. But yeah, you could stand up there. All right, so, so here's Wade's goal, right? He's got, he wants to double his height, okay? So can any of you give me a tidbit as to how he can make sure that he grows to be as tall as Dr. Mulder? Somebody tell me. Stilts. Somebody says stilts. He could lift him up. That's perfect. Any other ideas? Right? So if he worries enough about it, that's not going to help. Yes, Sally, what do you have? <laughs> they thought that seeing him, they would grow tall. Oh, they grew tall by having a tall stepdad. Okay. I'm not going to recommend that one for you, Wade, because your dad is awesome, right? Your dad is tall enough. Keep your dad. Okay. Any other advice? Built up shoes. All right. So I don't think any of these things are good advice, Wade. Do you? <laughs> So here's the thing. When it comes to growing, there are some things that Wade could do so that he doesn't grow taller. What might be some of those things to keep himself from growing taller? Well, I'm thinking of a few specific things. Wade, you could stop eating. And if you stop eating, it's guaranteed that you will never be that tall. You could stop drinking. You could stop breathing. You could stop exercising and just determine you're always going to sit still and eventually you'd So there's some choices here that you have to decide. Do you want to eat every day? You think you're going to keep eating? Wade's going to keep eating. He's going to keep growing, I think. Well, hang on. Are you going to drink water? Are you going to breathe? You think you'll keep moving? 
Okay, I think Wade's going to keep growing, and maybe he'll be as tall as Dr. Mulder. Thank you. You can go back to your seat. In our Christian life, we can choose to eat or not eat. We can choose to read the love letters that are given to us. We can choose to focus on Jesus and allow him to be the one that nourishes our soul. And we can choose to exercise. We can choose to share that friendship with other people. Friends, those are the only things that really help us to grow. They're the only things that open the door for Jesus to be able to cause the growth in us. So today, in conclusion, I just want to challenge you. Do you want to read the love letter every day? Not to miss a day. I mean, I think most of you don't miss many days of eating. Probably not even many meals. And I want to encourage you to keep breathing and in the same way to keep talking to the one who wrote this love letter. Keep the heart open in daily, hourly communion with him. Constantly having that two-way communication that Elena talked about. And then share that with everybody around you. Because that is the way that God has chosen to work in our lives to, to bring growth, to bring transformation, so that you can become like the lily and shine brightly for his kingdom. If it's your desire to have that experience, I want you just to bow your heads with me and just to think for a moment about Jesus, that his glory actually surpasses Solomon's glory, that he's king of the universe, and yet he came down to serve and to love and to give, and that he calls you to experience the same transformation in your heart so that you can say along with him, I just delight to do God's will. And just now, I want you to just talk to him in the silence of your own heart. First of all, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, do it just now and say, Jesus, I'm willing. You can have my heart. Would you take it today? And then if you've already given your heart to him, I want you to ask him to give you a personal walk with him, to give you a, a desire to read the Bible, to pray. And maybe he might even call you to a specific commitment. Just like you commit to eat each day, he might call you to say, hey, each day I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take time to get to know the one who loves me. Just make that appointment with him now. Don't let another day go past, maybe even this afternoon. But take that time to get the God who know, know the God who loves you more than his own existence. Father, thank you so much for the amazing truth that growth is your department, not ours. God, I ask for forgiveness in my own life because if I admit it, every day I often get sidetracked by myself and I begin to think that I can change my life and my heart. God, what I need is a Savior. And I want to be so focused on you that I'm not distracted by the mailman, but I'm fixated on your love. Father, would you lead us deeper and deeper into an experience, a relationship with Jesus that changes every part of our life? Thank you. That it's not about what we do, but who we know. And that knowing you will change absolutely every part of our lives. We love you, Father. Bless my friends as they go out to live for you this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.